Hello and welcome to the Swansea City. Fuck. We've... That was a good start, wasn't it? That's um, that's the standard. Those are the standards that listeners can look forward to in this uh, in this podcast. Dan, leave it all in. Yeah. <laughs> and again, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gittos Willen and with me, as always, we have Steve Carroll and Matt Baraku. Evening, boys. Evening. Evening. Um, we've got four Swansea City matches to look back at uh, tonight. Aren't you lucky? Um, don't worry, just in case that sounds too depressing for you. Uh, we will also have some non-Swans chat uh, when we discuss the big news story of this week, which is the European Super League. But before we get to that, unfortunately, we do have to uh, look back at recent Swansea matches. Um, in fairness, they've been a real mixed bag, so there's going to be a bit of up and down in this uh, in this section. Um for those of you who missed the last um, the last podcast, first of all, I don't blame you. It wasn't an enjoyable listen. That came on the back of four consecutive defeats without scoring. Um, the positive, um, boys, is that the last four matches have definitely been an improvement on the four that went before them. Uh, and the first two which followed those games, was, was particular, they were particularly good. We'll start off with Millwall, which... Bizarrely, was our best win of the season in the league, Matt. Uh, 3-0, away at the den, totally out of the blue. And suddenly, the mood just changed, didn't it? It was really weird because we were talking in the last podcast, I think with good reason. And to quote you, Gitto, you know, it looks like there was nothing in the tank left. Uh, and and it's, a, it's an absolute valid assessment. We looked absolutely dead in our feet. We looked out of ideas. Four defeats on the bounce. Um, that was shot on target since January last year. It felt like it was just uh, endless uh, monotony of watching us uh, fall apart. Really, the season looked like it was going to to collapse on us. Um, and we all predicted a miserable afternoon at the den. Um, and so, like Swans do, they produced one of the stellar performances of the season full of the energy that we'd been missing for yonks, um, conviction, uh, team spirit, uh, you know, the work ethic was back there. And you're just sitting there, you're scratching your head because you're thinking, well, I'm delighted to be watching it, but what's what's going on? Do we need to uh, drug test these players? Because something's completely different um, today than it was three days prior. So um, the performance was there. The attitude was there. The, like I say, the running, um, it just looked like it was an August fixture again for us where we were just full of energy and hope and, um, and, and uh, it, it was born out of perhaps the, the social media, um, and whatnot, it, it was gaining a bit of momentum. We were discussing it at length last podcast, and uh, you could see Andre Ayew's celebration when he runs over to Steve Cooper and hugs him. Um, that there's obviously been some conversations about that sort of pressure, and 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 no doubt the sort of pressure that Cooper found himself under, and and maybe the the players, you know, had a had a group together, and we need 
need to put in uh, a performance here for the gaffer and, and they did that and um, it was great it was great to watch it was completely unexpected um, but it was it was a thumping and it was it was one of the few games in the season where we, we dished out a, 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 you know real lessons on opposition team yeah, I'd, I'd see. I mean, there's an all-round performance. We looked, you know, solid at the back again. The midfield was really hard-working, but the most eye-catching thing, of course, after four games without without the goal, was that we scored three goals. Our strikers were back back scoring again, and they were three goals of serious quality as well. I mean, which, which one do you think was was the best in your opinion? It's a tough one. I mean, as you say, they were all um, good strikes, weren't they? In that game. Um, I'd probably go with the first one, if I'm honest. Um, I think AU strike was the the best one. It was a great finish from outside the box. And I think the being the first one, it was obviously the, the big one as well. I mean, if I'm honest, I didn't think we played that well in the first half. But it was almost as if we got that goal and the pressure seemed to lift and we seemed to play a lot better after that. And then the second half was a good performance then. So, um, like I said, I think that it was a, a big moment for us. And, you know, we, we got that win and... You know, things were, were looking up, really. At that point, we were thinking we're coming out of uh, this little dip. And we, we did play some nice stuff, probably the nicest football we played for, you know, a considerable period of time, really. I mean, Jamal Lowe badly needed that goal as well, didn't he? I mean, he, he wasn't playing very well in the first half, but you know, he took the first one really well. And then once he's got that, the, the first one, um, obviously quite often with strikers, then you get um, the second one doesn't take too long to follow. So... I mean, it was very encouraging, uh, really, after you know what had been a, a poor run that we we had a convincing win and, and we did play a lot better as well, didn't we? It's mad, isn't it, Matt? That the difference that a goal can make to a, to a player's confidence. Because Jamalo, prior to that, you know, he he looked like a lost soul. Really, he was just drifting around the pitch. He wasn't getting into dangerous areas. Didn't really have that energy. Didn't have that spark um, that we know he can possess. And then suddenly, you know, he scores a very good goal against um, against Millwall, and suddenly he's just popping up everywhere, and he's running at players, and he's got this little bit of, of confidence and swagger back in his game. He gets another one, which was really well taken against Millwall, and then of course against Wednesday, he he opens the scoring again. I mean, it's, it, I mean, every strike I guess is a confidence player, but but in Jamal Lowe's case, it's it it's particularly the case, isn't it? He's um, I said they say they do say strikers are confidence players, and and he seems to be an extreme example of it because he he kind of cows ass with a banjo when he's off form, and he just looks useless. He you know sorry to put it so bluntly, but he looks useless on the pitch, like almost to the point where you're just getting in the way. We'd be better off with ten, um, and uh, and and that's been where he's looked for a long time, and then. He gets the goal um, against Millwall where he's run across the defence, dummied the shot and then smashed a lovely goal in. And the second goal in that game was was a was a piece of beauty, you know, when he's dragged it back under his foot and smashed it into the roof of the net. I think we all just went, wow, because that wasn't just a, a striker's finish. That was, a, so that was someone brimming with confidence, you know. It was just so cool inside the area take it under his control and just give the keeper no chance. Um, and it was a similar sort of finish, albeit superbly worked by Andre against Sheffield Wednesday, where he, you know, he robs the ball and just running at the defence, then two on one. And um, 
you know, when he squares it to low, you're thinking, right, because you do see this, you know, you don't you don't have to watch Timo Werner in the Premier League this season to, to see that it happens. You see strikers, you're almost too easy a chance, and they squander it. But he's again, he's given the keeper no chance. He's hit the roof of the net, and we've seen quite a few goals uh, the last couple of weeks from Jamal Lowe that do seem to hit the top part of the net because he's he's really smashing them up there. The keeper's got no chance. Um and again, it it looked the finish of a season striker. So, um, yeah, uh, strikers are confidence players. They go through purple patches and barren spells. Everyone does it, but not sure. I know of other strikers that go through it just quite an extreme as Jamal Lowe, where he can literally be a world beater and a donkey a week apart from each other. <laughs> and I mean. Steve, two nil uh, away at Sheffield Wednesday. It wasn't as flamboyant, perhaps, as um, as the match against uh, Millwall, but there was a real commanding nature. I thought that performance, and particularly in the second half, where we controlled the game very well, um, just just bossed it really. And and suddenly you're thinking, okay, these are the traits that we we'd seen from Swansea earlier in the season when when we were doing so well. You know, we were disciplined at the back, not giving anything away. The midfield was working hard and winning all the battles. And then IU and Lowe were doing the business at the other end of the pitch. I mean, there was, do you think we got a bit carried away perhaps thinking, oh, possibly this could be, you know, the return of what we saw earlier on in the season or were you kind of keeping your feet on the ground? Um, I think I was, I was keeping my feet on the ground really purely because I mean, I was seeing talk of, of us still pushing them for the top two. And I was, I think from my point of view, I was thinking we, we probably would have needed seven wins to to get in there, really. And in our time supporting the Swans, I know the club record is nine wins from the, the year we won the league under John Hollins. But I, I was trying to think back, and I can't really think of many occasions where we'd won seven in a row. So if I'm honest, I certainly wasn't thinking that we were going to be pushing really for the top two, although... If we did get seven wins in a row, that may have put us in there. Um, so I think, from my point of view, it was more the encouragement that we we did seem to obviously there'd been the improvement. I mean, the the two nil there sort of reminded me of some of the away wins we'd had earlier in the season. I mean, a bit like uh, QPR, you could say maybe we, we started okay and then scored from our first chance and then added the second in the second half and it was quite comfortable. So I think that was more the the encouraging thing of that. As I say, I wasn't really thinking top two because it, it seemed like the damage had um, had already been done and then obviously as we'll come on to discuss uh, the the fatal blows were about to follow up. Um yeah Steve there you said I mean we needed to win all our remaining games basically to have to have a hope and and that obviously didn't happen uh, Matt and I mean to draw two all at home against the bottom team in the league is never a good result by um, by anybody's standards. But uh, the truth is, Matt, it could have been much worse, couldn't it? Yeah, and it should have been. I think uh, I think Wickham were the better team, and I would be gutted if I was a a, a Wickham fan to see that those points go away because they were the, they were, they were more threatening they could have scored they missed a couple of glorious opportunities and um with their own worst enemy to let letting us back into the game as well so uh there was very little happening for us so to get a get a penalty as we did in such fortuitous circumstances really give us a way a way back in but um i mean you said you no, said fortuitous I, it was a definite penalty wasn't it 
Oh yeah, so not it wasn't controversial. I mean, it, it was definitely a penalty, but fortuitous in the sense that we weren't, you know, it wasn't as if someone chopped us down on the way through to goal. It was a pass into the area. The guy slipped. It's run under his hand. It's a definite penalty, but there's no way, you know, there's no, there's no moment from us to really carve them open or force a defender to chop us down in the box and stuff. No, it was a complete fluke. It was a penalty, but it wasn't, you know, it was, it, like I say, it was fortuitous for us because it just meant that from nothing, we suddenly get a free shot, a goal from 12 yards. Uh, so, um, which again, like I say, Jamal Lowe smashes into the top of the net and suddenly looking like a man, you know, who can only hit the top of the net, um, which is which is great news. But um, uh, of all the game, you know, the disappointment of the fact that uh, the, the Watford lost and, and Steve talks about um, having to win the seven games. Well, our big opportunity was that that day against Wickham because um, when when when. Watford were losing, then it was an opportunity for us to really, you know, chip into that and 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 knock three points off them. And then with us having to play them uh, at the end of the season, it really, you know, that becomes a six pointer in itself. And you you look at the possibilities then of us actually pipping them if we can put a run together. But that I think it it, it died, of course. Um, it's died multiple times, but it 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 died finally against Wickham, I think, because it was um that was the opportunity to really claw them back into some sort of race. And we, um, we, we scraped the point, um, which again, I say, you know, we could have lost it again at the death, but I'm chuffed for Liam Cullen, who's come back from his injury, expected to lose him for the season, but he, 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 he comes on and he makes the difference. And um, maybe we'll be looking at discussions we had earlier in the season about maybe not needing a striker and maybe, you know, this, that and the other it sometimes pays to have someone who thinks like a striker and his movement in the move, in, in the run-up to that goal was uh, exactly what we've been missing, just to, to get away from his man, steal half a yard in front of him and, and, and turn the ball into the back of the net. And, and suddenly from 2-0 from down we're level and um, we, I was hoping we would kick on, but in the seven minutes or so injury time we had, we, we, we didn't force a, a chance or a save of the goalkeeper, which really does... You know, sum up my feelings on the game that we were lucky to get what we did. Yeah, I, I mean, Steve, let's let's look at the the one big positive in the game, which was Cullen um, scoring on his return three months out. And first thing he does when he get when he gets back is uh, is head the ball into the back of the net. Um, brilliant for him personally, but like like Matt said, basically he's got this striker's instinct, um, Cullen, and he we've seen him now in in the his last game before before his injury against Nottingham Forest and now against against Wickham games in which he gets into the right positions to get on the end of those balls and put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, looking forward to the future, is he somebody that we should be looking to now and thinking you can be our number one for a couple of years to come? Well, hopefully. I mean, he, he definitely needs more minutes. But I, I would say that, let's let's give an example, that we're going to play 4-3-3 next season. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but let's say that we are. Then I would say he would be one of our two strikers, as far as I'm concerned. Either, obviously, he'd either be on the bench or he'd start. I think that's the way that you, you have to look at it. Now, we're not a club that's got a great deal of money. Callan has done well in limited chances. As you say, he takes up those... You know the proper striker's position. That's how we ended up scoring that goal uh, the other day. I'm not convinced anybody else here would have taken up the position uh, that he did. 
you know, he got himself in there looking to score a goal. We can't really buy that type of instinct, and we've it's something that we've sorely missed, I would say, this season. So, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, he should uh, he should definitely have more opportunities. I I think going forward now, if he's fit, we've only got one game per week the rest of the season. Get him in the team because we we haven't been doing especially well going forward. Let, let's actually play with a proper centre forward. Matt, how how highly do you rate Cullen, and how far can he go? Do you think? Um, under good management, uh, we're not. You know, when if I'm thinking back to to like Ollie McBurney, you know, and we first tried to give him a chance. I think uh, Leon and his caretaker game gave him a chance against Liverpool away in the Premier League, didn't he? Uh, when we got thumped that Boxing Day, and and um when you're at that level, it can be really punishing for youngsters without the experience to come in. And then you think, right, okay, no, you have to go on loan to a lower league team and you need to get the minutes under your belt. Now I'm looking when I see Cullen on the pitch, he's not below the level or the standard of this team or of this league. He's at that level. He's scoring goals. He scored goals in the cup. He scored goals in the league. Um, and he doesn't look out of place on that football pitch. So there's no reason to have to send him away. Um, it's not as if we're banging in two, three, four goals every game. It's been a big problem of ours this season. So, yeah, I, I agree with Steve. You know, he needs to feature more. He needs to be on the pitch. I've seen a few tweets today that, you know, disappointed that he didn't start. And I've got to be honest, apart from the fact that okay, you're bedding him back in after, I think it was an ankle injury, wasn't it? That kept him out for three months. And, and I can understand why you wouldn't just give him 90 off the bat. Um, but yeah, you know, if he's fit and he's ready to go and he feels fit, fine, then he needs to play more minutes now um, and 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 get on the pitch because potentially he goes from here. You know, he gets a full season. You know, playing most games for us next season, and um, if we're creating, then he can score. And there's no there's no limit really to a to a striker who who can who, who's got that instinct to hit the back of the net and. Um, He's still young, um, you know. He, he could make. He could be a great striker at this level, potentially. Yeah. Um, well, let's get. That was obviously a disappointing um, uh, result against Wickham, albeit a, a very dramatic game. Uh, no doubt about that. And a, a good comeback, at least, even though you know uh, the Swans definitely gave themselves a, a, a mountain to climb by conceding two goals straight after. Straight after half time, um, and and we're recording this one directly after uh, the last minute loss to uh, QPR uh, at home. Uh, in some ways, Steve, a, a sense of deja vu about this because it's quite similar to uh, last minute defeats that we had in in that uh, four four match losing streak against Birmingham and then against Preston. You know, the goal coming in the 89th minute. Can we really have any kind of complaints about the result? I don't think that we can, to be honest with you. I mean, I thought especially in the second half, we were absolutely terrible. I mean, we we were so cautious and negative. And then you're looking at it thinking, OK, the top two is probably gone because we knew that Watford had already beaten Norwich. But at the same time, I mean, you've got to go for it. You've got to show some, you know, you've got to be on the front foot at home. And I felt the QPR were going for it more than we did. And they've got nothing to play for. It's just ridiculous. I mean, I was sent the um, the stats just now from um, let's have a look at what, what we've got here. I mean, they you know they were really damning for us. You know, forty one percent possession. Okay, we had eleven shots. They had twenty one. Only two shots on target. They had seven. Like, it's really poor. 
like I, I honestly don't think we can have any complaints over that result. It may feel slightly cruel because again we've been done in the last minute, but we were crap again. Like uh, it's it's the type of performance where you wonder what the hell we're doing in the position we are in the league. I mean, it just feels like another step backwards, and um, you know it's it's really frustrating as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, uh, as things stand right now, I mean I, I can only see us going up through the playoffs, if we get two nil-nils, win on pens, and then get a nil-nil and win on pens in the final. I mean, I, I don't see another way that we're, we're going to win. We, it's, it's just baffling. I, I don't know what we were trying to do. The one thing I'd say about that, Steve, is, you know, the way we, we've played tonight, the way we played against Wickham as well, we don't look like keeping clean sheets, though. Um, we, we were quite open at the back, actually, um, and, and QPR did create... Um, quite a few chances we did too in the first half it has to be said we you know the first half saw both sides create um, plenty of open chance obvious chances and um, ridiculous really that, that that the first half ended nil nil um, but but QPR throughout the match um, I guess created decent chances went very close hit the post forced uh, Woodman into saves and then obviously in the final minute they they, they score the goal and I just feel like in the second half of the season, there have been so many games where we have been very open and have been riding our luck for long for long periods. And and whereas, you know, in the first half of the season, those games just simply didn't happen. If anything, they've been the norm in the, in the second half of the season. Yeah, like you say, that it really has been um, the norm, I suppose, isn't it? I mean, we've... We're defensively, we, we just haven't been at the races for the last however many games. I mean, you look at that Huddersfield game where, you know, obviously we conceded four at the time. I think we were thinking, oh, maybe this is just a bit of an anomaly. But I haven't got the stats to hand in front of me. But I bet, including that game and since, we've conceded more goals than in every other game, um, you know, prior to that. It's, it's just been a shambles, really. We've, you know, the our, promo, our success this season has been built off defence, hasn't it? I mean, We've never been great going forward, but we've been able to, you know, nick the odd goal, and um, obviously we've been very good at seeing that out in general. But um, you know that that's gone now, and it does sort of show to you why, you know, our lack of goal scoring and creating chances was a problem because it only took a little dip in terms of, um, you know, uh, our defensive solidity to cause problems. I mean, I think it's seven points now from the last eight games, five of them defeats. In all five of them, we haven't scored. It's not good enough, is it? No, it isn't. And, and Matt, another factor which has made our defence much, um, you know, much stronger this season is the is the way our midfield has played. But that's really come under a bit of scrutiny in the last two games. And I, I don't know about you, but and and there are there are different opinions on this on social media. You know, some people are saying that the the um, players are playing too deep. The midfield is too deep. Um, too spaced out, not really a clearly defined shape. The fact that we don't really have um, a, a, a designated kind of number 10. Um, I'll be honest, I, I think, if anything, we're not deep enough. Because tonight in particular, what we saw was often the defence picking up the ball and then looking up and nobody anywhere near them, really. Um, and, and whereas, and I, you know, I, I don't want to compare, compare it at this midfield to Leon Britton, who's one of the best midfielders we've ever had. But what was so brilliant about Leon's game was that he was always available for a pass. He was always in the right position to offer himself for a pass. Grimes does that reasonably well. Um, didn't think he was great at it tonight, but on the whole, he does it pretty well. The, but 
there's it's always as if there's maybe one midfielder offering himself, but the other two then have shot up the other end of the pitch, and and they're not they're nowhere to see, or they're, or they're drifting over to the wing, and they're not making themselves available for these passes, and what that results in every single game almost these days is the midfield getting outnumbered and, and it makes it so much easier for the opposition to play. It's it's something that we do worse probably than, than almost any other team in the division, offer ourselves for the defence so that we can actually play out from the back. And it, it makes it so... I don't know about you, Matt, but I, I just think it makes us... makes every single attack that we try to build look very desperate and very strained from the off because... It, it's not easy to build an attack gradually from the back. Well, it's ironic because we were something we were known for. Yeah, we were known for bringing it out from the back and use it coming in from the defence and being comfortable on the ball, 1-11. to 11. Um, It was just something that we become accustomed to um, and, and maybe we've got high standards and that's why uh, we're, we're looking at it so, um, you know, disappointingly now, but... How can you build attacks? How can you build attacks when your only option for your centre back or your full back is well, I'm going to have to go long because we're not blessed with height or aerial presence or any threat in the final third. We don't possess a, a, a Peter Crouch type player. So in that respect, we all we're doing is, and this is where Steve's stats come into play. Um, we're giving the ball away. You know, a lot of the time those balls go up and they get headed away by defenders straight away. Or, and, and when the second ball drops, then like you say, the midfield aren't in position. Um, and I, I know some people, I, I do feel bad because I know after the Millwall and Sheffield Wednesday game, we got a couple of tweets off a few listeners saying, looking forward to the new pod, we'll have an upbeat one for a change. And we haven't actually got around to doing one until tonight. Sorry. So I feel like it's looked like it's an agenda against, we'll only do a podcast when we're fuming. No, it's not that at all. It's just the way it's gone, unfortunately. But um, we were in that last podcast that we would uh, uh, remember us talking about um, working on shape, working on positions and not just putting players out there thinking, well, you're a defensive midfielder, you're a centre midfielder and you're a bit of a, you know, attacking midfielder. You three go out there and complement each other. It's not, not enough. It's not enough if you're losing in the 80th minute just to bring a striker on. It's not enough. You need to have worked this out before the ball is kicked you need to have gone through scenarios you know we see in training games where they're playing 10 against 11 and whatnot and and and, and playing sorts of games in both sides where you go where you got a man up this is how we play we got a man down this is how we play also if i'm if we're losing the 80th minute and i bring on a striker this is what i want us to do if we are you know playing a certain way or we're trying to bring the ball out of the back then this is what i want to do and and, and just putting the players on the pitch without that sort of what looks like no prior thought into how we're going to play that way. It just looks like it looked tonight, which is no options. Because in fairness, I do think those defenders, when they get the ball, I do look and I see they're looking for that ball. They're looking for someone to give it to. And if that's not coming, where's where's that falling down? Is that the mm. players not, not doing what the, happened on the training ground? Is it not happening on the training ground? Because something's fallen down there between the application on the pitch and, and what's going on behind the scenes. It's just not, you need to have, if you want your defenders to bring it out and, and, and start playing from the back, then they need to have options. And, and and when they don't, it goes long, we lose the ball, the possession stats look poor, and we're facing under the cosh. And the defence playing the way they are at the moment, it doesn't look good because we're just facing a barrage against the team. 
Steve, who, uh, on, have got on, nothing to play for. Sorry, man. Uh, on that on that point, Steve. I mean, is it you know the players not following instructions, etc.? Is it is it Cooper's tactics? I mean, for me, looking at the way our midfield uh, like functioned tonight against QPR. That to me looked like just something tactically that's not going right because it's not a midfielder's natural instinct, surely, to kind of sprint up the pitch as soon as as soon as we win the ball back. Surely, a player like Fulton, who who started off life as a holding midfielder, surely his first instinct is to offer himself for a pass. You know, it's it's not to kind of run up the pitch and and abandon his defence. So. It must be something tactical, but I just don't think it works. And I just think it leaves our midfield so stretched and, and imbalanced and shapeless that it, it makes life difficult for us. I, I honestly don't know what we're, we're trying to do at times, is, is the honest answer. I mean, I, I think that I don't like a midfield three of Smith, Bolton and Grimes, if I'm honest with you, because I think there's, there's not much variation there and, and there's no creativity, are there? That, that's what alarms me. You just don't see us really offering to do anything. I, I think tactically, we, we do find what in quite a lot this season, if I'm honest, and we've just got away with, um, you know, being able to shit those our way uh, to a lot of results by keeping things tight, really. But I think now we, we're, we're being found out that a lot of players are not really, you know, offering a great deal. I think in midfield, there seems to be a, a key area because, I mean, especially you look in the second half, I mean, we, we barely did anything, did we? So, it's we we definitely gotta gotta try and do something. I mean, I, I think as much as Hoorahan, for example, maybe hasn't been as influential as we would have liked, and is more someone who who has his moments. He really needs to play because if we're gonna win games, I think it's something we might have to sacrifice. Even if he isn't always as influential as we'd like, he might pop up mm-hmm. with the moment that we need. So uh, I've I've never been a fan of that midfield three, and I'm not gonna change my tune on it now, even though. It didn't work previously. I, I just think it's too limited. Mm, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting debate on on the Swans midfield because it is an area that's that's struggled for so long and and well, it's not so much struggle, but it's just an area that we've struggled to find that perfect balance. Really, um, try different things. Things have worked in in the short term, but nothing really lasting um, so far. Um, we'll move on to discuss kind of Swansea's upcoming fixtures. The uh, automatic spots are now pretty much dead and buried. Mathematically, it would take the ultimate miracle for the Swans to finish second at, at this rate. So congratulations uh, to Norwich and Watford on, on their promotions. And uh, Swansea's focus swiftly turns now to the playoffs and trying to enter those playoffs in the best form possible. Um our form on the pitch has been up and down over the last few games, um, but off the pitch, um, this, the club took a very admirable stance um, since our last podcast. Um, Steve, you you joined them in that stance in uh, boycotting social media after yet more racial abuse aimed at uh, our players. It's absolutely mad for me how how many stories we've how many times we've discussed this this season how how many incidents we've we've unfortunately had to discuss where one of our players has had to put up with this nonsense uh and and the club fair play to them decided enough was enough they didn't want to uh keep talking about this incident and um they 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 took a stance and uh you did too how how well how, how did you feel it went on the whole um, I mean, it's tough to say in terms of um, 
lasting impact. I mean, if we're honest, it may well not do much at all. But I think that the good thing about it mainly was that it just got it more out there into the public eye. And we obviously were, were leading on something which I felt was good. And obviously Birmingham and Rangers um, decided to follow suit. And I think one or two others, you know, lower down the pyramid did as well. So, you know, I think it, it wasn't necessarily ever going to be about getting something done at this stage. But I think it was the main thing was about getting the a discussion out there in terms of what what can be done. I mean, it is very difficult unless these, you know, various um, social media sites decide to, you know, grow some morals and actually act and, and ban people and you know pass details on to um, the authorities because it is appalling the abuse that we're seeing and it does seem a bit like our club or certainly our, our players have, you know, been some of the ones that have had the worst of it. We really, we've had three players abused and it's. You know, obviously, it's just completely unacceptable, isn't it? It's not the type of world that we um, want to live in. So, you know, I, I applaud the club for trying to do something. And I felt that as someone that runs um, a fanzine, I should, you know, take a stand with them and um, and also do a boycott for a week. So that's what I did, really. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it, you know, in the future, if they can collaborate with each other. Um you know, I think it's, it's difficult sometimes to get, you know, everyone across the board on the same page, although um, the issue we're going to talk about later has managed to do that. But, um, you know, like I say, I think it's it's a step in the right direction, really. And, um, you know, we, we just need to see more getting done because it just seems like it's it seems to be happening constantly now. Like, it, it, there's almost a story, like, daily or every couple of days, and it's, it's just really disturbing. And uh, it's not all, is it, let's be honest. Yeah. I, I mean, Matt, is it is it disappointing that that so few other clubs joined in i mean that when birmingham and rangers started coming on board thinking okay this may be building towards something but but none of the other clubs in the uh, in the football league or premier league um actually took that step um and is is it a missed opportunity in that sense a chance to actually send a unified message to to twitter and and others and other social media platforms but um obviously wasn't taken and it, it, we were sadly pretty much a, a lone voice in the wilderness yeah um i don't know how much notice or you know how, how much visibility there was prior to the swans taking that stance to other clubs um i know particularly premier league clubs they have these obligations with with their with their social media content and stuff and and they have stuff planned long in advance and uh planned adverts and whatnot and and i and i get and i get that side of things i think the the, the story the big story of course is 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 that it was done um and maybe um in future just to to, to plan in advance say look you know this is unacceptable therefore if you know if 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 it happened today for example say right then from from the 10th of may to the 20th of may we're not going to be posting anything you know and and that way then there's enough time for everyone to get the houses in order and and, and join that and and hopefully there would be a widespread because uh, i didn't know i didn't know it was coming at all i don't know about you two but i i, I had no idea that that was going to that that media blackout was going to happen from the club until it happened so so to see that that it happened if that was the case across the board um then then it's even more admirable that the Birmingham and Rangers and as you say some of the other lower league teams um jumped jumped on it because um they would have had uh, no notification either and, and decided that was for the greater good which it absolutely was 
Uh, but you know, if 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 it hasn't been communicated across, let's have that conversation. Let's get to other clubs and say, look, we'll plan a date, and 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 we'll and we'll say, right, we're not talking on social media for this long, and none of our players are either, and um. It, it's something that needs to be done, and and we still seen since. I've seen a story today or yesterday. Uh, Instagram have banned someone for a set period of time and and limited their ability to send. It's bullshit. It's complete. It's they're taking the piss at this point because it's been so strongly uh, criticised their weak stance on racism that uh, to carry on with this nonsense line about. Uh, banning people for a set period of time, it's it 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 needs it needs everyone to come together in the way that they have with the uh, with the Super League uh, nonsense that we've seen um, to really hit Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, hit them where it hurts, which is just completely uh, just just blank out that platform. I mean, Twitter in particular, it thrives and survives. On the celebrity content, it, it it is there in the difference to Facebook and, and and Instagram as well in the same sense that because you have that direct access to these people, these people you otherwise wouldn't get to see inside their life and what they decide to show you. But if these people then come off and stay off, then they lose that. And and, and football Twitter in particular is massive. So if these football players decide right, no more social media, the clubs follow suit, then. Um, then the social media companies have a real problem. Um, but at the moment, unfortunately, it's all too weak from all parties. Um, there's the social media companies not doing enough. And then there's the football clubs just sending a message out going, oh, our players received abuse. Anyway, next up, we've got Crystal Palace. You know what I mean? Everyone needs to be doing more. Everyone. It, it, we can't just put a tweet out and then get on with our lives. Um, you know, it's, it, it needs to be more. Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, I'm not going to say that racism has been eradicated from the stands by any means. I mean, I've, you know, I think we've we've all heard kind of racist chanting and racist comments in 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 football stadiums down the years, but it's uh, a very different scenario to what what it once was. But on on social media, it just seems like it's it's getting worse uh, 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 all the time. And Steve, I I don't know. the The problem for me is I don't know if these people what what these people's motivation is. Are uh, you know because because are these people? What I'm trying to say is are these people who can be shamed, or are they people who are looking for a reaction? Um, they're racist, whichever way you look at it, and that they're vile people, whichever way you look at it. But but if if they are prone to shame. That then there is a way of tackling this. If they aren't, then you know there's surely nothing else you can do other than ban them and and try and find a way of of preventing from them from getting back on 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 a different account. Yeah, it's because obviously we we've got nothing in common with these people. It's very difficult to say what the motivation is in the first place. So it's probably a combination. For some, some of them probably do want to be known. And then there's others that I think if they were talked down to, then they might realise what they've done kind of thing. But, I mean, it's, it's hard to know what the answer is really, isn't it? Obviously, we need better education for a lot of people. I think that's probably the, the main answer, but that's obviously it's easier said than done. Um, who, who honestly knows? It's, it's difficult, isn't it, to, to comprehend why people are, are doing this. But 
you know, it's certainly a problem that seems to be getting worse and it's something that needs to change desperately. What I will say is it's the opportunity at the moment with VPNs and whatnot to do something which you cannot do in any form of society without consequence. I mean, yeah, you'll have your social media account banned, right? It's an opportunity for these teenagers or whoever they are, uh, and they're not just labelling teenagers, just sometimes that's what you hear that is, it is some teenager somewhere that has done it. Um, but it, it's an opportunity to do without consequence. So that becomes the appeal because... You know, you, you just you can you can get away with it, and you do you might get a bit of fame out of it as well because you you get your, you know you get your account uh, flashed up on social media by that player who's who's who's, who's named and shamed you if they do, um, and so, and 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 as far as that's concerned, then you, I mean I I mentioned in in a previous piece about clubs and players and 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 social media companies doing more. You go up the top, you look at your wafer. You look at actual full-on institutions of football who have monkey chants and bananas thrown on a pitch at black players and they find them £30,000. It's ridiculous, you know? This is, this is a problem, not just in England, not just in Britain, not just on social media. This is this is a cancer that has, has run through football for, for since long before we were, you know, we, we were around. Uh, it says this cancer has been there forever. But the lack of management and control and, and 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 real punishment for these crimes is 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 laughable and and uh, and and yes, at the moment all you can do is ban them. But if social media companies get proper documentation and make you um, validate who you are when you create an account, then you get prosecuted, and then it you know it, you get tracked down and um, you know you, you you serve a sentence for uh, for you know. Uh, you, you racist crimes. So there's there's steps, but I mean, when you're looking at the very top of that pyramid and how pathetic they are, then you could. There's no wonder why we've got this problem that we've got. No, it's it's a distressing situation, and sadly, a, a boycott by one championship club, as admirable as as it was, is is not going to change things overnight. This is. Uh, an ingrained problem in uh, in social media, online, and in society, which uh, which is going to have to take a, a heck of a lot of work to to solve. Um, one problem which seems to have been solved for the time being, anyway, in remarkably quick time, and and seems to have had more attention than uh, than any racist abuse we've heard of uh, ever. I would uh, I, I would say is uh, the European Super League. It's what's been on everybody's lips for the last uh, few days. Um, it's fair to say, Steve, that whatever these twelve clubs hoped they would they would achieve from announcing a breakaway league, um, it it hasn't been achieved, has it? No, I mean they've um, well they've got no bottle whatsoever. Similar level to uh, Cardiff City when Dave Jones was there. Um, well, like, even I'm surprised at how quickly they backed out of it. I'm not too shocked that you know it's. It looks like it's dead in the water for now, especially. But, um, you know, I, I can't say I'm overly surprised that this was a, a plan. That I, I think it's ultimately what a lot of these owners of these clubs have wanted for years. They, they don't like the uncertainty of sport where, you know, they don't know uh, in terms of money that's coming in. And they, they think they're entitled to a bigger slice of the pie. And basically, this is what that was all about. And... Um, you know, it's uh, just incredibly selfish. Goes against everything that uh, football and sport is about. And um, 
yeah, I'd, I'd like to see big sanctions and punishments for the people concerned because um, they're trying to spoil the game. But one, one thing I would say is, you know, I think there's been a lot of apathy with football fans down the years. But I do think this may have woken a few people up. We've seen a lot of scenes this evening that, you know, fans turning up at Chelsea and, and kicking off. And, and that's what's needed. And that, that may have made the difference. So it's a lesson to us all, really. I mean, if you're not happy with the situation, then always feel like you can protest and, and cause change because it does seem like that's happened tonight. So that's got to be a good thing. I really hope it is the, the the backlash and the PR disaster that's that's caused this, and not some kind of shady backroom deal where UEFA have caved to some of their demands. Because I, I think you know the UEFA has never been, or at least has not been for a very long time, in such a strong bargaining position against these breakaway clubs because they've tried to break away and they have been left with egg on their face massively. They've, they've been shamed publicly. They've had the bloody prime minister um, turning on them, etc. cetera. They, they've absolutely been embarrassed um, by all this. And I really hope UEFA then turns around to them and say, see, told you so. You're not as strong as you think you are. Now sit down, shut up and get on with playing football. I really hope that is the attitude and that there is no kind of, bargaining position that's been that, that's been met here that, that there's no there's no kind of meeting in the middle that's happened here because UEFA and all other football authorities should just turn around to these um, clubs and treat them with the contempt that they deserve after this shambolic and amateurish attempt to to ruin football really I mean Matt do, do you think this this is for well basically this the European Super League has been a topic conversation for a while is it dead in the water now, or is it just gone away for a little bit and it'll rear its ugly head at some point in the future again? It's absolutely crazy that I'm trying to work out whether it was 24 or 48 hours ago. I think it was 48 hours ago when the story broke, wasn't it? Uh, how crazy this term has come into our vocabulary and is going again 48 hours later, but dominated that entire time. Um, and it, it just feels crazy now to, to how much it has dominated every aspect. Uh, you know, people who didn't know what football was was getting told what, you know, what exactly was happening. It just became this like global news story um, everywhere, everywhere you looked. Um, because it's such a big, such a big uh, revelation, really. Um, so you know, Steve said, you know, this is something that's been in you know, been mooted about for many years already. Um, we even said, didn't we, when when we got taken over by American owners, you know, they used to, they had DC United propping up the rest of the MLS um, for years while they were funding their new stadium because there was no jeopardy. There was no risk of relegation. So just leave them right there. And then once they got everything sorted, then you can start building a team. And obviously, we, 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 this has gone back a few years in this pod. Now we were saying, maybe that's the problem. Maybe they didn't realise the risk, financial risk, for us actually dropping out of this league, which, of course, they've come to feel now the real full pinch of um, and the reality of, of how damaging it can be. So American owners, uh, you know, Asian owners, whatever, the, who, aren't, who haven't grown up with the game and, and, and just see it as a business venture, um, this is the problem, and this is the problem. It's been a problem for a long time, in that um, you've got these businessmen that take over, not football men, and they come in then, and it's all about dividends. It's all about the bottom line. Uh, it's how can we make money? 
and then you can exploit markets with with better advertising streams and 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 all that and then try and get some increased revenue um and then you look in for the next big buck and this is what's happened and it the was thing well, is, it seems the, inevitable the thing is, you know though, the thing is though matt you said a businessman they, they don't behave like businessmen businessmen kind of assess risk and 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 spend within their means and and you know the the, the football clubs the even the biggest football clubs in the world are running at massive losses and they're making appalling decisions somebody pointed out florentino perez who who has become like the face of this monstrosity of an idea the the real madrid president um kind of said basically that they had no choice that the the pandemic had had forced them into this scenario because that because their kind of their financial situation was so precarious and they needed to minimize risk where was this kind of need to minimize risk when they spent 130 million pounds on Eden Hazard where was this you know minimization of risk when they, when when Barcelona were handing Lionel Messi just the, the world's biggest contract and and paying him money that they simply couldn't afford you know where where was the where, where has man united's um you know risk aversion been the whole time that they've been the 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 awful decisions that they've been making over the, over the last few years ever since Fergie left you know these are Bottom line, terrible business people who have made awful decisions over a number of years, who've realised that it can't be sustained and are looking for a, an easy way out. Um, it's 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 just it's the result actually of really poor business practices across the board. You know who's not on board with this? Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, clubs who are actually brilliantly run clubs which make profit and 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 don't actually um you know spend what they can what they can what they can't afford on players etc they live within their means um they're not on board with this uh, it, it is the the greedy clubs the ones that cannot actually cope um with, with you know with 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 anybody kind of threatening their their position of superiority um the ones who panic whenever they finish outside the to, uh, outside the top spot you know whenever there is a threat of falling out the champions league they they panic spend sack managers left right and center rack up debts um but through that means these are this is the result of just terrible business practices so sorry i'm not going to listen to florentino perez Turn around and say this is a this is a necessity and this is something that has to be done. This is this they they've got themselves into a hole through their own actions, through you know their own bad decisions, and they should not actually be allowed to sacrifice the rest of football just to make amends for their poor business practices. That's my rant on this over. But I mean, Steve, you know, where where, where do we go from here? Because I, I don't think this idea is going away. It will reappear in the end. I, I think in the end, eventually it'll be become. Uh, I think I think it'll have to become a reality because that these clubs are going to to want it at some point. But I just can't get over the arrogance of these clubs in in believing that they can just cut off the rest of football, secure their their own interests in that way, and to hell with the rest of the sport. I can't understand the short-sightedness um the 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 inst- the greed i just can't understand any of it i think it's just poison i really do well it's definitely poison but i mean as i said i i think they've they've wanted this for quite a while i don't think this is like a knee-jerk thing and i th- i'm not um you know 
I think the pandemic maybe has, has meant they've decided to bring this forward, but I think this is what they've always wanted. I mean, they don't want competition. As I said, they, they want like that that sure thing. They they don't want the Leicesters of this world winning the league or, or then get into the Champions League. They don't want West Ham pushing for the top four. They you know, they view football as a chance to, to make money. And um, you know, they they're not on the same page as the rest of us. They're they're the villains and we don't want them involved. I mean, I, I think everybody who is associated with this idea should be banned from football for life. I mean, it's as, uh, it's as simple as that. But we have to hope that this is marks a turning point for football now because we've seen these protests, we've seen these clubs backtrack. They have made idiots of themselves. And um, let's hope it leads to more regulation and that can hopefully stop any issues because... I mean, the truth is, these big clubs are never going to be happy. I mean, they'll get more money, and then they'll want the, you know, the biggest slice of the pie again. And then after that, they'll want another bigger slice of the pie. I mean, same with this European Super League does happen. I mean, you in the end, you'll get leagues within a league in that, like you have in the Premier League. You'll get the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham struggling, and then you'll probably get Real Madrid and Barcelona at the top of it. And they'll be like, well, we bring more to this European Super League than you do, so we want more money than you. And it just eats itself. So. You know, there's there's no honour there, and I mean, it's you know, it's quite laughable in some ways that where you know, obviously everyone's on the sides of the likes of UEFA and the Premier League, whereas you know they're just as bad for various things. I mean, you you look at the Premier League and that that infamous game 39 plan. I mean, that was absolutely terrible, for example, um, and on all type of things like that. I mean, you look at FIFA with who they've awarded World Cups to and all this type of thing. It's you know, football need, urgently needs uh, an independent regulator across the board. I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. On, on my sense, it, it, the game is rooted with muppets uh, who just only care about themselves. So, you know, but this needs to be a, a turning point. I would say. I mean, it could help save the game. Hopefully, it uh, hopefully it will. Yeah, hopefully it's the wake up call that uh, the game needs, and hopefully it returns a bit of sanity and um, you know returns football to, to its roots in some ways um, but we'll have to wait and see it it certainly had a, a seismic impact on on the sport that we all love uh, moving back to the Swans let's just finish off by looking ahead to um, to our next game and and indeed the kind of remainder of the season because Matt we're, we're in a position now where we can't finish in the top two but it looks incredibly unlikely that we'll finish outside of the playoffs unless there is a, a monumental um, collapse and a bizarre series of uh, of results between now and the end of the season. So, I guess w- what's the objective for for the remaining games, and um, what should be the attitude going into going into Saturday's ma- or Sunday's match? I think it is against Reading. There's, there's there's two there's two trails of thought here, which I'm which I'm which I'm tying between. And um, the first is of course the team that goes into the playoffs with form. Is, is invariably the one that ends up in the final at least and, and quite often goes up. Um, that's not necessarily the person that finishes sixth on the final day and sneaks in like we did last season, but it, it can be the team that's just won the few games leading up to it. Uh, or it can be a barnstorming run um, in the last f- four or five weeks. Um, so form is key. So in that respect, you want to work as quickly and as hard as possible on the training pitch to make sure that we don't look at these games as irrespective and uh, and pointless because they aren't pointless. If, if it means that 
you build the confidence and we suddenly find that sort of verve that we had in the second half against Millwall back and, and we can re- approach it with a bit of uh, confidence, then then it, it's anyone's. Um, that said, <laughs> you know, we, we were talking um, on last podcast and after we finished recording, I made a joke uh, to you both about, about saying what we perhaps should have done because we were talking about how dead we were on our feet in those games that uh, what we perhaps should have done is identify the game whereby we were probably going to come unstuck anyway. I, I used the example of Bournemouth away and and I said, well, maybe we should have rested a few of the players that we play in three games a week, every week for the past six weeks. Maybe we should have just gone, right, hey, you're missing this one. Low, you're missing this one. Mark Grange, you're missing this one. Mark Gehi, you're missing this one even to Freddie Woodman, because they've all suffered. All of their form has suffered uh, because of fatigue. I know Cooper doesn't believe in fatigue, but in in terms of every, the confidence has gone with the fatigue and with the lack of ideas and, 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 and mental fatigue as well as physical fatigue uh, for just relentless football. And I joke to you about, let's just give these players a rest, choose a game where we just go and, 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 and accept defeat, but you give your players an extra three days rest then. Um, so my other school of thought is, of course, is 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 that where we you know you're going to finish in the playoffs. So maybe you get you start chopping and changing big numbers now. You start giving the players half the team the week off, another half the team the week off the next game, in in order to make sure that you approach the playoffs fresh as you can. Because Swansea this season have proven that when we're fresh and we're energetic on the pitch, um, then we then we we can look half decent, but when we're not like we've been in the last couple of games, it really does. It really is poor and you can't see how we can possibly win the playoffs. So there's my uh, conundrum. It's whether we go into it in form <laughs> or whether we go into it fresh. And they, and it doesn't look like the two can coexist. Uh, and Steve, you know, Reading this, uh, this weekend, they, they'll need a win to have any kind of hope of making the uh, playoffs. You, you'd assume um, they, they've had a good season, but they've just a bit like us, really tailed off over the last few weeks. I think the the clubs with the smaller squads, really, we've seen have, have fallen away over the last few weeks. Us, Brentford, Reading, and and the former Premier League clubs have really pushed on. You know, your Norwich, Watford, Bournemouth, they've been able to find that that second gear at this stage of the season. I think it's um, you know shown shown through really. Um, I mean, going into the Reading game, what what are the kind of changes that you would like to see are there, is there anything that you'd like to see us try or at this stage of the season is it too late to try something new and we just have to try and make make, make the best of what, what we've got and try and make that work um, I think like I said I'd like to see Callum uh, in the side that's, that's what I would say um, I think Connor Roberts should move back from um, the wing to full back Um Possibly Whitaker come in the team. Like I said, I don't like the the caution of those three midfield players, so I think Ugrahan should should come in as well, really. So that's what I'd uh, be thinking. Matt, Matt, what about you? Yeah, well, I'm like I say, my my conundrum is whether or not we we give these players a rest, and um, you start saying, you know, you you give Roberts, uh, we give Roberts a week off the other day, and and um, and. Uh, you see the benefit when the players aren't constantly in the firing line and just giving themselves some time off. And um, so, I mean, I imagine towards me, 
making making changes for rest's sake because we flogged this dead horse all, well for the second half of the season. Yeah, we've just constantly been playing the same players. We'll, go, we'll force ourselves back into form if we just keep playing every week and, and every game and every three days. We'll force ourselves back into form, and and it just won't work that way. Um, so I would be looking, you know, ex- players like Whitaker. I mean, it's a no-brainer because he's going to be fresh as anything. Plus, he is a genuine option. We've seen that. You know, giving Leon Cullen more game time. You know, another player who's, who's, you know, ankle pending and, and, and fitness size that way is uh, going to have all the energy, boundless energy in the world. So he should be getting more game time now. You know, Lowe shouldn't be, for me, he shouldn't be seen on the pitch in a couple of weeks. I know that's bizarre to say. Haven't seen him come off, you know, in what what looks like he's, you know, hit a bit of a purple patch again. It'll be didn't score tonight, um, but you see those things and you just think, wait, well, we need to give ourselves the best opportunity now, if we are to finish in the playoffs, to go in there. Because as me, as I said to you before um, we started recording tonight, like though, when you look at the forty six games, it's a very good debate as to whether or not, and I know we always say you end up where you deserve to be in the league. Do you think that we deserve to go up? I'd have grave reservations about making that statement. I, I really do think that we've shown ourselves up on countless times this season as being a team that just do not look like promotion contenders. And tonight again, you, you just you expect the team pushing for promotion to be pinning teams back, to be creating, to be asking questions. And it just didn't happen at all. And we've seen that time and time again, where you're just thinking, which one of these is going for the top two? Because they can't really work it out. Um, so on that on that respect, you couldn't say, right, okay, we probably won't get to the Premier League on sporting merit, if you like, in terms of the way we've played a lot of the time. But you only need to play well or win three games. Once you get to the playoffs, that's all you need to do. You just need to win three games anyway. We saw Portugal win a bloody whole tournament without scoring a goal in open play until the semi-finals uh, a few years ago. So um, yeah, you you can you, you got to look at that and think right. How can we give ourselves the best possible chance of getting three positive results back to back? And it's as simple as that. And 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 that is the most complicated thing which I've made try to make sound simple, which it really isn't, of course. Oh, brilliant. And um, well, let's let's finish off then with uh, with a score prediction. Um, Steve uh, Redding, one of the teams who've been around us all season but uh, have fallen away of late. Um, neither of us in, are in spectacular form. How do you think this game is going to go? Uh, I'm going to say a boring nil nil. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same. Same thing, actually. Um, nil, nil. I'm not sure if it's going to be boring, but I, I do you know what? I think it could be nil, nil as well. I, I, I think Reading may just lack the quality these days to to find the goals. They've um, they huff and puff, but don't really blow the house down. And um, I think we'll we'll be pretty satisfied with a nil, nil now that we can't uh, go up automatically. So um, I. I Wow, full house of nil nils, very high expectations for the Sunday 12 uh, 12.30 kickoff in uh, on Sky. That's um, wow, very exciting. Well, um, hopefully it is a bit more exciting than uh, than what we've predicted. But um, do you know what? After the last minute uh, dramas of recent weeks, yeah, maybe maybe we could do with uh, with that kind of match. Um, 
Thank you very much for joining us. It's been a bit of a long one, plenty to discuss, both Swans-related and non-Swans-related. But uh, hopefully you found some sources of enjoyment in there. uh, And hopefully you will join us again next time. Until then, thank you very much for joining us. (laughs) 